0: This episode of the Outfield Excursions where Rish Outfield and I talked about Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets actually came out on the Patreon page back in last October. So almost 11 months ago, this episode was out on the Patreon feed, and it's just now coming to the main feed. And I just uploaded a new episode of the Outfield Excursions on Patreon, talking about Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold. And so if you'd like to check that out and not wait an indeterminate amount of time for the next episode of Elf Food Excursions to show up here on the main feed, head on over to patreon.com slash journey into and uh, check it out. I now return you to the main program. So, Rish, are we going to spoil this movie for our listeners today? Oh, yeah, dude. We're going to spoil the crap out of this movie. Be warned, folks. There will be spoilers. Uh, Gather around, everybody. Welcome back to the what is this called? This is the. I think uh, it's outfield excursions, sir. This is the outfield excursions, yes. Listen,
1: precision of language, Marshall.
0: <laughs> yes, I. It's something I lack as of late. But <laughs> yes, my name is Marshall Latham. Oh, and
1: I'm Rich Outfield. That uh, that silence was my cue. <laughs> this is the show that we do together, uh, just randomly picking a movie and talking about it.
0: Uh, it. Is there a rhyme or reason to the movies that we pick? Sometimes. Like like we did a 2014 movie last time. And I think this was your choice based on coming up with a, a Star Wars spinoff, I think, is, is the reason that you chose this movie. Oh, okay.
1: Well, good. I wondered what motivated us watching (laughs) this because i I remember when it was coming out i think i saw the trailer or i saw tv spot for it and uh, it looked really really expensive and campy and then uh it came out and it it was gone immediately it was it was it crashed and burned right out of the gate that's something that people complain about a lot nowadays is you used to be able to give a movie some time to play and, and create word of mouth and gain an audience. Uh, and then the blockbuster mentality became, you know, no, you know, it's what it, what does it make? in it's, it's first week. And then it became, what does it make in its first weekend? Right and now? Like if a movie does badly on Friday uh, by Saturday, people are saying, this is a bomb. Don't bother to go see fill in the blank.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy.
1: And so even if i had wanted to what year did this come out uh
0: 2017
1: okay so even if i had wanted to see valerian and the city of a thousand planets did i get it right
0: that's correct yeah
1: in the theater i think i my window was just too small you know this this probably would have benefited from seeing it on the big screen i, I it was one of those i think that was shot with 3d cameras right i
0: yeah, the director is is Luke Besson, and he was inspired because of Cameron's Avatar. After that came out, he says, "Wow, that's what you can do now." Now it's time for me to do Valerian. So, yeah, I think he did. He used the same technology. I don't think it came out in three D. Maybe it did, but I never went and saw it either. So, but yeah, he. He was excited that the technology was good enough where his vision of what Valerian was could be portrayed on the on the screen now.
1: Yeah, except for one aspect of this movie, it never felt cheap at all. Like the you mentioned Avatar, and there's this species of alien that we are introduced to almost at the very beginning of the movie, and and they reminded me of the Navi
2: in Avatar.
1: Because they were so close to human, but there was something just slightly off about them. They felt really alien, but they also felt really alive and convincing. And and to do something like that costs a fortune. I mean, we, you you've heard me complain endlessly about the CG Tarkin or the CG Leia or or the CG Luke Skywalker or whatever, and. You know, that's Industrial Light and Magic that made those. Right. And I, I think the it was Weta that did the effects in this, or one of the, the special effects houses. Do you, do you have any idea how what kind of budget this film had? This had to have cost
0: $200 million, right? Uh, I did look it up at one point, but I don't have it on me now. I know it was one of the most expensive French films ever done. Yeah, well, on Wikipedia, it says
1: $223 million budget. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, before advertising and, and all of that. So, yeah, I, I, according to this, it is the most inexpensive European film, not just French, but anything over there. And I guess we'll get back to that later. Uh, the other thing I remember when it came out... I don't remember ever talking to anybody that saw it, but somebody online said like the first 15 minutes of Valerian are awesome. That's worth the price alone. The first, you know, the first scenes in that movie. And that always sounds fishy (laughs) where somebody says, you know, the the first half of your book really, really grabbed me. (laughs) But, I remembered that while I was watching this because it starts out, I think in the present day or in the 1970s and it shows our progression in like space travel through the centuries, uh, with space oddity by David
0: Bowie playing underneath. Right.
1: And I, yeah, I got to admit that sequence was just wonderful.
0: Yeah, all the various aliens that showed up eventually and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was re- really really cool. It's I guess establishing this spaceport
1: or or space station that we build that Earth builds in the 70s and gets added on and on as the decades go on until it finally like pushes away from Earth and goes and establishes itself out in the middle of the galaxy. And species come from all over to, to make contact, to do trade, to, I guess, just it, it's a very hopeful sequence, this space oddity thing. It, it would have put a smile on Roddenberry's face, mm-hmm. I'm sure, because it's just like, wow, this is what people are capable of. This is what's just right around the bend. If we put away like our lower instincts and embrace the possibilities of space... Right. And the possibilities within ourselves I, I love that and I love the Bowie song so it helped uh, and then there's a sequence of these aliens on like this beach world and can you describe what these aliens looked
0: like well now that you've put the Navi in my head I can't can't get them out but uh, uh the yeah they're just like these really slender kind of uh squished or long-faced aliens but they look very human except for you know a few little features like they're they have weird coloring on their foreheads and above their eyes and their eyes are a little bit wider and uh, their ears are a little bit different or whatever and yeah they do, they're just very free and very open society everybody works together they harvest pearls from the ocean and then they there's they they have this little creature that if they feed it the pearl it kind of goes through this metamorphosis thing or whatever and out of his body come all of a, a multitude of of pearls and they're put all of these into this big collective pool or whatever and it seems to provide energy and and everything for the for the community and so it's just it's all self providing and and whatever and yeah, it just seems like a, a perfect little society where everybody does their part, and you, you kind of see that there's a there's a family in there. Uh We kind of followed the princess, I believe, of the, uh, and then her father, I guess, would be the king. But then eventually, debris starts to fall from the sky, and penetrate their atmosphere, and land on their ground, and cause destruction and they don't know what to do and they're running around and uh the princess is kind of separated from her, her family and uh her father is actually out with a bunch of the other townsfolk, I guess you could say. And they're investigating one of these fallen and it's like a spaceship and they're investigating one of these fallen uh spaceships. And then this humongous, like I'd say, Death Star-sized spaceship, maybe not quite that big, but just humongous, falls through the atmosphere and lands, and that's going to cause destruction. So they hide in this ship, and the door actually gets locked, so they can't get out, and nobody can get in, and the princess runs up to the door, and they can't let her in, and she's sad, her father is crying, they're going to lose their daughter Because she's out there and and here comes this devastation. Just before she's about to be wiped out by this wave of destruction. She sends out this pulse of energy. She kind of concentrates and this pulse of energy goes out into the the universe or whatever. And yeah, so yeah, quite a bit of drama going on there at the beginning too. But yeah, just again, the, the visuals are just beautiful and... Bright, colorful. Yeah, I, I think that's
1: pretty consistent through the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, they, they Like I said, they spared no expense as far as how this movie looks and feels. And they, there's uh, tons of aliens throughout the movie. And they, they rarely feel like, oh, you know, that's just a guy with ridges on his nose. You know, they... <laughs> they somebody has designed like everything and the the technology and the the clothing and uh you know even when we see human beings they pretty much seem to be in the minority uh for the most part yeah uh, you know there's just the, well the city the titular city of a thousand planets is that is is a hub where people from all over come and so you see every shape and possible permutation so the girl the the princess sends out this wave of energy right before she is killed and we cut to like this beautiful exotic beach and our hero valerian does he have a last name uh not
0: that i know of
1: (laughs) okay well that's fine i mean he's He's Valerian. He's our hero, played by Dane DeHaan. He is sitting on the beach, and he... Does he dream? He has a vision. Uh, So he saw what we saw. He saw the destruction of this girl's world leading up to her death, and I think he woke up when she died. And I, I feel like they establish really early on that this was a vision that he had that it had, it had been sent to him. It had it appeared in his head as, as like her last act. Yeah. You know what I mean? Before she died was what was, was Mr. Spock touching McCoy on the face and saying, remember, you know,
0: <laughs> that's interesting. Cause I was thinking more of, uh, the, uh, the inner light episode of, uh, star Trek next generation.
1: Okay, you know that's probably a better example, except for uh, that Spock transfers, you know, his his memory to Bones, and Bones doesn't realize that that's what has happened, uh, and then Spock dies. Yeah, I guess it's it's similar to Inner Light. It, it doesn't matter. It's it's very it's very Star Trekky. Yes, um, but it doesn't like haunt him or anything like that. He's not. He's on to the next thing which is I'm going to go talk to my partner who is Lorelai. Am I saying it right? Yeah, Loreline. Oh, it's Loreline with an N. With
2: an
0: N, yes.
1: Okay, you might have to correct me because I've gotten it wrong every time. <laughs> she is his partner, and Valerian and Loreline are secret agents, basically, or special operatives, the, like Mission Impossible-type operatives. Yeah. Um, I, I They're not quite military, but when somebody needs a special job done, they contact them, and there's probably no mission that they can't uh, succeed in.
0: Yeah, and it feels like they, they serve this Alpha, this hu- humongous space, space station, and the government of that's been established around it. But I, th- I think they, at least in the movie... But yeah, I think they're, they're sent out to do all kinds of different missions.
1: What you said, at least in the movie, this is based on, is it a comic series or is it a bunch of, of, of graphic novels?
0: Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a comic series from the 60s, late 60s and, uh, throughout the 70s that was in a French magazine called, uh, Pilot or however you would say that in French, but, uh. Pilot with an E at the end. With an E at the end, right. So it could be pilot.
1: <laughs>
2: pilot. <laughs> and
1: and that was called Valerian and Loreline? Was that what it was called?
0: It started out just Valerian. Well, I think it consistently it was just called Valerian, but it in the in the very first comic, they introduce us to Loreline, and then she's always with him as his partner after that. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit different because they serve, they work for Galaxity. Basically, Earth has become this hub, you know, they've created instant travel through time and space. And so Galaxity protects time and does all kinds of things throughout space to protect uh, other people and uh, as well as, as as humans and earthlings. Um, but they also protect time. So it's, it's pretty broad, um, compared to what we see here in the movie. But if you're introducing the concept of who Valerian and Loreline are in a movie, you can't start out with that. You have to kind of bring it in. So I think that's what Basson was doing with this. But yeah, it, it, it's a, it's different in a lot of ways. Uh, I think the biggest difference that I see is, uh, their relationship. I mean, there there is some frustration and consternation every once in a while with each other in the comics that I've read. But man, from the beginning, these two are having relationship issues or whatever, and uh, that it was just kind of kind of jarring in the movie that their relationship was so different than what I was
2: reading in the comics. But hey, look, I know you're attracted to me. Why didn't I? The obvious. It's obvious. Yeah, sure. Little at 2 shoes with an Ivy League education are always attracted to Galaxy and bad boys like me. My Ivy League education taught me to steer clear from bad boys like you. Yeah, well, you're not going to find better than me on the market. Straight up. Take a good look. Handsome. Intelligent. Modest. Brave. Suicidal. Determined. Pig-headed. Faithful. To yourself. Yeah, and to you. You're my partner. Yeah,
1: don't forget it. In the comics, do we see them first meet and work together and learn to respect each other and eventually fall in love? Yes. Because they just throw us right in in this movie as though, you know, in a, if we're talking about Star Wars, it's though we're saying Star Wars Episode Four. Like, you know, there has st- been stuff that's happened and we're just picking up right. in the middle of a new adventure. I wonder if there was any temptation to have these characters first meet, maybe have these characters join the organization, the the impossible mission force, you know, get recruited and get trained and all that stuff so that it would feel like a first adventure in a whole series of adventures. I'm not going to bury the lead. In my opinion, the weakest aspect of the whole movie was these two actors. <laughs> Especially one of them. Um, poor Cara Delevingne was just in over her head through most of this and I thought, well, wh- why, why, why would you cast a model and an, uh, you know, an actor who's never played the protagonist in a movie before. And my guess was, well, this is their first adventure and we want them to do 10 of these, you know, th- we want them to be doing these in 2030, you know? All right. But I don't actually know the reason unless it's that they had already spent $200 million on special effects and they had nothing left in the budget for more established actors. But anyway, do you think it it would have worked, now that you've read some of the comics, to start earlier and have these characters meet for the first time and learn the ropes of what the, the, the rules of the universe are and what we need you to do and how you're going to do it, and here's the technology that's at your disposal?
0: Yeah, I mean I I think that could have worked really well. It probably would have taken a little bit longer, but you know, this show wasn't worried about time because by the time we get to where we're talking now where we actually are introduced to who Valerian is, it's been what, 20 minutes? 15 minutes into the movie before we even get to see who Valerian is. So, and then then we take a little bit of time on a on a mission that really didn't have anything to do with the the rest of the the plot of the movie
1: what what was the first mission was it getting the converter critter or was there something before that
0: yeah it was getting the the converter on that tourist planet where everybody goes shopping and you're but you're actually interfacing with another dimension or or whatever which was a really cool sequence but looking back at the movie as a whole, it's really a a left turn on you know what, what we're eventually going to get to in the main plot, everything.
1: Well, I, I thought that that scene worked really well. It's like a heist, yeah, kind of thing. And there's this whole team, but it's basically Valerian and Loreline as the you know, the point men of this heist, where there, there are other people that will help them out. But the really dangerous stuff is those two are sent in and mostly just Valerian that's sent in. But they do, they explain that there's a, a way to interface another dimension where there's just like any product that you could ever want in like an outdoor, the biggest outdoor mall in the universe. Right. And you have to have like special glasses to see what else is out there in front of you because without the glasses it just looks like empty space it it was hard for me to get my head around i liked the way visually especially they showed us how it was working and and how there are there are other levels and 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 tons of aliens and stuff and and most of these People that are going there are are just human tourists or human shoppers or whatever. But, you know, like loud American tourists with a Hawaiian shirt on and stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But uh, here again, the visuals, I mean, just the way it was filmed was very intriguing because, you know, Valerian, you'd see him walking through this like barren landscape desert, salt fields or whatever, and there's other people milling around, but you don't see any. You know, it just looks like he's out there wandering around in the desert. But then, if you see him through the glasses, then he's in this huge mega city, you know, and that going down these weird narrow streets and and interacting with all these other people and and aliens and stuff. So yeah, just the, the way he did he did that was was really cool. They had
1: some kind of device that you would put your hand in, and it was it was basically like two lock boxes connected. And that was how you transferred things from the other dimension to your dimension. Right. And they they, sh- they show us how it works, but it was still hard for me to get my head around. All this time later, it's hard for me to imagine that he's interacting with people that without the glasses he couldn't see. It's almost like... He's communing with the spirit world or something like that. An otherworldly dimension that inhabits the same space as our own. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like he sees dead people, but instead he sees aliens. Anyway, they have a a
1: fun chase and betrayal and near misses and all that stuff. And he ends up getting this creature. And it's the same creature from the opening scene that the the bald, white-skinned aliens we're using to make pearls it's called a converter and i think they say it's the last one in existence because it the planet was destroyed that uh right. that we saw and i i think they established that that was like 30 years ago that that yep. planet was destroyed and somehow she had sent her vision into the future i i guess you just have to go with it you just accept it that's fine that that it happened a long time ago and
0: what what does he need this converter for i don't think he knows it's just part of the mission he asked to get this and bring it back to alpha but it it was interesting when he goes in and he steals the uh, the converter and the one of the pearls there's two other people trying to uh get this to get the converter from this gangster guy I believe, played by John Goodman. It sounded like
1: John Goodman, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Three. Two. One. Federal Agent Valerian. Sorry to interrupt this great deal, but I'm also here for a noble cause. It's called the law. Hey, haven't I seen you guys somewhere before? Hey, I'm not running the team room here. What do you want from me, Igon Cyrus? You stand accused of stealing a mule converter belonging to the Federation. Before I drag your ass in, I have to recover the stolen property. And the they they were
0: also they were in hoods and everything, but they were also these white skinned aliens. And so you could figure out why they would want it because it's it's from their homeland. It's it's one of their one of their creatures, valuable to them as a society and probably to flourish as well. So that was interesting. But then, yeah, he, he does make it out of there, but then he, you know, now the chase is on and his equipment starts to be defective and he, so he people can see him and target him. And uh, I believe at some point, some guy shoots this weird weapon at him that uh, puts a bunch of, like... Uh, Ball bearings that go to the box that he's wearing on his hand that weighs him down so he can't move, and then he he starts falling through floors and whatever down through all these different things. But eventually, uh, Loreline is able to come back and help him, and he's able to escape. But the gangster sends this huge alien dog essentially after them, and they have to get on the bus that they came in there there with the team. And the Beast or whatever is tearing through that, and they eventually escape and jump onto their spaceship and and are able to get out of there with the uh, converter that they came to get. And so, yeah, it was fun and exciting, and I I I don't really have anything against that scene, because I enjoyed it quite a bit, the the uniqueness of it and the, the fun of it, but... Then when I look at that, compared to the rest of the movie, it's all about what's something that this political intrigue or whatever that's going on 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 the Alpha station. And uh, meet up with, was it the president or the emperor of Alpha? And then uh, there's this, also the the captain guy. We need to uh, remember
1: their ranks because it becomes important. I don't know their their names, but Clive Owen... I want to say is the commander. Yes. And then there his subordinate is an actor that I've never seen before and he's the general. And so the the commander is the military leader of this whole starbase I wanted to say. Is it okay if I call it a starbase?
0: You can call it a starbase. And then his
1: second in command ultimately becomes the the leader in in the general's absence, in the commander's absence. See, I've already started confusing them. <laughs> that there was one scene that I didn't mention from this sequence, and-, and it's not really important, but they establish that besides being partners, there is some kind of low-level romance thing going on with Loreline and Valerian, and he asks her to marry him. And she sort of brushes it off, and then he just keeps asking through the rest of the movie, at least eight times, but it might have been as many as a dozen times.
0: Yeah, and he's kind of, you know, comes off as a as a ladies' man, you know, he he she says he's afraid of commitment, that he would never commit to something like that. And he just comes off as kind of a stereotypical ladies' man bachelor that doesn't care, you know, he's just out for the flings and things like that, but he says it's different with Loreline. That's kind of some of the stuff that was a little bit weird to me after reading the comic. It's shorthand or whatever, I guess, for film viewers to kind of relate to these characters, even though they're these super secret agents of space kind of thing. Um, you know, they're all, they're going through these relationship troubles and, oh yeah, he's that kind of a guy that, you know, never commits to anything, runs away from that kind of stuff. But you can tell that she is interested in him and you want to believe that, uh, that he's being sincere in, in his feelings, but I don't know. You, you had mentioned the casting. Yeah. I, I think that to me that that hurt this movie the most the whole movie relies upon the, these two characters and their relationship and their actions and their how they perceive everything and they they're just both come off as kind of cold and unfeeling a little bit and i mean there there's times in the movie that they that they show emotion and and care and those kinds of things but uh i don't know it just doesn't it, it doesn't hit the right mood for for me for what what I'd even if I hadn't read the comics, you know, it would kinda of put me off, I would think. That whatever. I and I don't know how they were directed. I don't know if if they were doing exactly what they were being told or how to act. And this is was perfect. This is exactly according to the script. I d I don't know, but I've never been a, a big Dane DeHaan fan. I didn't care for him in Amazing Spider-Man 2 either.
1: It's it. I yeah. I don't want to be too critical of their looks, but there's almost a Dane DeHaan has the face of the the best friend that betrays you in a movie. He there's something not quite heroic about his looks. He's he's meant to play the villain. He's meant to play the guy who who turns out to have been the bad guy all along, uh, the guy who is c- consumed by jealousy or or the ring corrupts. He's 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 similar to Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy's not meant to be a good guy <laughs> just because of it's his a good face. comparison. And Cara Delavine this is the prettiest she's ever looked in this movie. There are moments where it's just like, wow, she's great, but she struggles with the dialogue and struggles with emoting. There are times when I feel like she's watching a performance around her instead of performing herself. Yeah. yeah. And they give her this big speech at the end that reminded me a little bit of Felicity. What's her name from Rogue One? Uh, Jin Erso's rebellions are, are built on hope speech.
2: Love is more powerful than anything else, Valerian. It breaks all rules and laws and overpowers any army or government. Just look at her. For one second, put yourself in her position. She lost all of her people and her child. And she's willing to forgive. That's real love. It's the trust you place in someone else and... I thought I could be that someone else for you.
1: And it just it 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 falls so <laughs> flat. That yeah. I was like, oh boy, Luke, could you not have done a second take? Oh my gosh, that was the eighth take. Oh, okay, never mind, kind of thing. Yeah, they, they, this is who they've chosen to portray these two characters, and maybe they look a lot like the characters in the comics. Is is no, not really. Not really. Well, it reminds me of. In the prequels where we had somebody that had to look like Carrie Fisher and somebody that had to look like Mark Hamill, and they were being cast much more from the way they looked than the chemistry that they had with one another, or, you know, the their, their acting ability kind of thing. And I do remember Lucas saying with Jake Lloyd that you know that there were other actors that auditioned but but he just liked the way that Jake Lloyd looked and then of course you know with Hayden Christensen he was he was trying to find somebody that looked like Jake Lloyd and looked like Mark Hamill the the those two actors really or three I guess in that case really struggled with the dialogue that had been given them you know somebody as good as Natalie Portman really struggled so maybe it just comes down to there are directors that are really good with visuals there are directors that are really good with special effects and there are directors who are really good with actors and that's that's not what we had here because the, like the the whole last hour of the film it's a, it's diminishing returns we started with just excellence <laughs> <laughs> when there was like no English dialogue for the first fifteen to twenty minutes, <laughs> you're just like, "Wow, this is a pure cinematic experience." And the heist was really good. You know, the heist worked well too. But it, I mean, we haven't even brought in like the the shape shifting stripper Rihanna plays. Al- almost none of that stuff worked, and. They flash back, and I know this is way later in the movie, but they flash back to uh, the destruction of this planet that we saw in the the early scene. And there's a leader that's giving the orders, some military person, and we don't see his face. And I I thought, well, why are we not seeing his face? There's, oh, probably because he's somebody else that we've met in the movie. And then I was like, oh, well, he's Clive Owen because there's nobody else. (laughs) <laughs> that this could be and then like 30 seconds later they show that it's clive owen and i thought oh well why didn't you show his face to begin with then because there was no suspense at all you didn't give us enough time to to be anyway sorry i'm criticizing the end of the movie
0: now well yeah because I, and i don't know if i really want to go through the rest of the movie the whole sequence i mean we can give the gist of it but I don't know. Did, do you want to go through every well, kind of, the whole sequence of everything that happens, or
1: I don't know that I can. I don't remember it well enough. It's been long enough that I was worried that I might have to sit down and watch it again, and i I would do that. I didn't absolutely loathe this movie. I was more just disappointed because it starts out so strong. And then as the movie goes on, fewer and fewer things work. And even like some of the special effects stop mattering, stop, stop working. Some of the action sequences don't work as well as the earlier ones do. And I don't know if that's because they were running out of time and they were running out of money or they were just getting tired. And it's just like, let's get this thing done guys, guys, guys kind of thing. It became less inspired and less enjoyable and then the movie ends, and it's just like, "Oh well, do I want to see these guys come back for another adventure <laughs> and it doesn't matter because that's never going to happen, right right. The movie was an a uh, a monster failure it's it's you know it's it's maybe not on the le- level of Lone Ranger or John Carter of Mars, but it's definitely like on the level of Cowboys versus aliens what was that movie called cowboys and aliens or you know one of those movies where it's just like it lost so much money no we're never gonna get a sequel to this
0: yeah and because by the end or when i looked there was still 20 minutes left i'm like oh you've got to be kidding me (laughs) there's 20 minutes left of this movie and that's never a good sign either when you're just praying that the movie will end so you can be done yeah, that, that's that's not a good sign, but uh, I don't know. Let me try to hit a couple of the bullet points so that people kind of understand a little bit what's going on. So I think the commander, Clive Owen, is going to go make an announcement, or he's there to uh, go to some council meeting because there's some crisis that's going on, the energy or radiation or something that's affecting the entire planet. And he's going to make a speech or something like that. And so he, they go into this room and th- their job is essentially to protect him and to protect the the converter alien. And uh, Loreline is kind of taking that under, taking that creature under her, her wing. And anyway, they, so they go to this huge assembly hall and all of a sudden these aliens break in and it's kind of cool. They shoot shoot everybody with this, like, goo that, you know, covers their entire body, knocks them out, and they fall on the ground. It incapacitates, but does not kill them. Right. And Lorelai gets hit with it, but she's got her helmet on or something like that. And Valerian is able to to not get hit with it. But then they come and they, they take the commander and leave with his with his body in the, encased in this resin or goo or whatever you'd call it, Valerian starts chasing after them. And oh, I think he goes and saves Loreline first because she's she's kind of trapped in it. And then he runs off to to go after him. He's following their ship that they're escaping in one of his ships, and he's trying to track track them and and chase them down. Um, eventually he has to, he goes into like the, the dark zone where there is no communication and Loreline's on the receiver with them, you know, talking to him as he's piloting and saying, you can't go any further. You've lost them. He says, no, I can catch them. And then, you know, of course his signal is lost. And so Loreline, then her mission is now, not only is she going to try to find the, the commander and save him but she's more worried about saving valerian and so she goes off on these, these misadventures. she's led by these little aliens with long noses or i don't know trunks kind of like the little uh guy on, on star wars that calls in the uh where the millennium falcon is but they're shorter and anyway she gets
2: information from them There's no time to lose. The cortex jellyfish is extremely fragile. Show it images of valerian. And it will show you what it has seen. Sure, but how? You have to put it down to your shoulders. You're kidding. Never when we're working. Through a kind of osmosis. You'll be able to communicate. But be very careful. Not to stay under there. Longer than a minute. Because then it starts to feed. On your memory. Great. Anything else I should know before I voluntarily stick my head on his mouth? Actually, it's not his mouth. You can begin. Good luck.
0: And she goes and puts this jellyfish creature on her head and uh, (laughs) figures out where Valerian is, but she only has a minute to do it or whatever. And again, all these visuals and all these little aliens and stuff are really good, really well done and cool, but uh, the plot's getting a little bit. Not as, not as fun, but anyway, so she goes off on a quest to, to save him. Eventually she finds where he's at and she goes there and gets him out of his spaceship and, and kind of saves him. And, you know, she's expecting, you know, she, she's realized her feelings for him and she's trying to, she's hoping for more than what she gets when she saves Valerian. He doesn't really thank her. He just, you know, this is just normal everyday stuff. So there's a little bit of that out there but then almost immediately I think she gets captured because she she lets a butterfly land on her like a glowing butterfly over a cliff land on her hand but it's actually these aliens from this weird division that that fish <laughs> that that was like a lure and she got caught by the by the fishers that are up above um, and so Valerian goes to save her at this point. That's when he meets this bubble who's a, this, uh, what do they call her? A polyglot or something like that, where she can shape shift into anything. And yeah, she's pretty much a, a stripper where she's at, but she's able to like, uh, encase him in her body and take on the visage of these aliens. And so he goes in this whole elaborate scene. And uh, I guess she's being given as a prize to the Emperor of these aliens and all this kind of stuff and he so he goes in and he saves her eventually somehow we end up at the end where they're they get to where they can save the commander and it turns out that he these aliens from this planet from the very beginning the the beach aliens have the commander and We learn all about the history of you know what happened to their planet again, and who it was that was responsible for it. They thought that they were fighting over an uninhabited planet. They were on. uh, They thought they were on Beta Alpha Six, but uh, they were not. (laughs) He's at the Alpha (laughs) Five. But he knew it, and he gave the order anyway to use these uh, fusion weapons, nuclear fusion weapons against the whatever fleet they were fighting against and then that's when their planet got destroyed so he eventually what at the end right he he gets uh carted off and sent to prison aliens are able to go back and recreate their world or something like that and they kind of save the day and then valerian and lower Line are back on their ship by themselves again just like they were when we were introduced to them like you said they're off to do another mission, another day. I don't know if I missed any any major points there, but that's just kind of some, some of the bullet points. But I, I yeah, I, I, you. The only thing that you didn't mention is that Bubble dies. Oh yeah, that was kind of sad. <laughs> but it was like we were meant. Like Valerian really cared for her. Tell me
2: what to do. Nothing you can do. Anyway, where I'm from, life is more painful than death. Don't say that. Unfortunately, it's true. Life's a drag when you don't have an identity to call your own. You do have an identity. You're the greatest artist I've ever seen.
0: I don't know, that, that scene was supposed to mean a lot, but it really didn't, because Valeria never came off as a caring kind of guy to me, so.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's... Casting, I guess, has a a little bit to do with it. Uh, you know, they just barely met, and he says, you know, I I can help you if you'll help me. And so she 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 doesn't like that she's trapped in this sex work dead end, I guess. And so she she goes to help him save his partner, and then she is killed. But she's glad that she got out of the rut or whatever. I, I, I I think you needed somebody <laughs> who you don't need Rihanna in this part. You could get because she's a shapeshifter; she can look like anything. You maybe get somebody who's an actor first, who can make us care about this character, because all of the rest of the character is going to be a special effect. Right. But you know, I I'm sure that Rihanna puts butts in seats. So maybe they accomplished what they wanted to with that, but it and the character's name was Bubble. Somebody somewhere should have been like, (laughs) no, maybe in the comic this character's name was Bubble, but the comic was written in French, and Bubble was a foreign exotic word to them.
0: (laughs) And Ethan Hawke was her pimp.
1: Yeah, and 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 he probably worked for a day, right? Right. I, I Well, I, I don't, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm punching down in criticizing this movie because it doesn't have a good Rotten Tomatoes score. If you had to guess, what would you say?
0: Oh, uh, I'd say probably in like 32 or something like that.
1: Well, that's, it's actually got a 48.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. Um,
1: which, which isn't terrible. I mean, it's still a failing grade, but, but then, you know, the movie lost all this money and I don't, I'm not sure if it hurt Luc Besson's career. I know that he invested a lot of his own money in this movie because he really, really believed in it. He had wanted to make it for years and years. Like you said, I feel like I read somewhere that like the production designer from Fifth Element was or that he hired the guy that drew the comic to do all sorts of sketches and and stuff for Fifth Element designs
0: well, yeah, because he, he ended up working with... Uh, so the the comic was created by uh, Pierre Christen and Jean-Claude Mazeres. And Jean-Claude did most of the art for the comic, and then uh, Pierre did the scripting and, and plotting. And uh, he was working with Jean-Claude on Fifth Element. And uh, at one point, Jean-Claude said, Hey... Why are you making this crappy movie when you can make be making Valerian? He says, "Oh, I'd love to make Valerian, but it's it's not ready right now." But I mean, really, if you look at the visuals that are in the Fifth Element, I mean, those were pretty good too, really good too. So I think the technology was there at the time that he did that movie.
1: The The Fifth Element had Bruce Willis in it, and that's a that guy is a movie star. The he was so compelling in every single one of his scenes. And even if the dialogue that they gave him to to deliver wasn't excellent Oscar worthy dialogue, he sold it. And I think we needed a Bruce Willis in this movie.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Collapsed under its own weight with these these two and I, I I shouldn't say inexperienced, but that's what they are. You know, these two young actors.
0: Yeah, sometimes, you know, that that's a good comparison of the... I mean, yeah, what's the difference between those two movies? You got Bruce Willis, and then you got uh, uh, Joze- Jozevich, right? And yeah, Mila Jovovich is also a
1: model-turned-actress, but they gave her nonsense language in that movie, and then a lot of it was just emoting. A lot of it was her looking at things and responding, because she was like a, an innocent character... And we got to see through her eyes a bunch of times. And then Bruce Willis clearly wanted to protect her and cared about her or whatever. It just, the relationship worked so much better. And and, which is why I said, well, why didn't we meet, see Valerian and Loreline meet for the first time and see them become friends and slowly learn to trust one another and maybe a, a spark of romance? Because the movie ends. And I don't think that they get married. I think they're back to where they were when the movie started. Yeah, they've had this adventure together. And they're closer because of it. And maybe she believes that he's a one-woman man now. But it's just like, it felt like it it sort of was like a, a sitcom or something where they have to reset at the end of every episode. And there's no real development uh, do, you, do you remember her saying, yes, I will marry you at the end?
0: No, no, I don't think so. I, we, I don't think we ever got that that resolution. Now, as soon as I say that, somebody will listen to this and say, no, she did. Well, no, no, that's fine.
1: If I missed it, I missed it. The, what you said about, oh, shoot, there's still 20 minutes left in this movie. It's not a tremendously long movie, but it was
0: over two hours. It was two hours and 17 minutes. It just felt long. I mean, for me, the the you know the movie was going great. It took a little bit of a hit when we first met the characters because the characters were off a little bit. But then that the whole market scene was you know kind of made up for it. But then as soon as they got to that alpha station or whatever, everything just kind of came to a screeching halt. And even though there was still a lot of cool stuff going on. The the plot just got weighted down by this history and mystery and yeah, you know, not a not a good kind of mystery, I guess, but the solving of the mystery
1: went on a little too long, too. I I remember we get our general character who is the second in command, and once his boss has been kidnapped then he is trying to figure out what's gone on and what, what has happened. And he's not allowed to because it's, you know, for the general's eyes only. Did I get the titles wrong again? It's for Clive Owen's eyes only. He's trying to find out the research of where this planet was. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of one of those, like, uh, it's been removed from the Jedi archives kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, And so he has to ask for, like, extra authority so that he can unlock the file and find out what happened on the planet. But the problem is we know all of that. We saw it in the opening scene. Plus, Dane DeHaan's character knows all that because he was given the vision. So all of that could have been solved in a couple of sentences. Right. Right. Instead, we get that character getting the access and then learning the information that we already knew. And, you know, that's not a fatal flaw in the movie, but it's just, you know, you mentioned that it's that, that it, it, it takes a while in getting to the end. There are a couple of moments where the story takes a detour, where Loreline has to get all prettied up in this new dress and stuff like that so that she can go and, and please the 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 leader of these CG aliens, but we see like five other tributes being brought to this CG alien that he rejects. We only needed to see one, yeah, and and then then she is the next one, and she is presented to him, and he goes oh, and we think oh okay, well he wants her as a sexual partner, but no, I think he wants to eat her, and <laughs> right. right. And, and you know, then there's the rescue scene or whatever. But all of that goes on just a little too long. It, a lot of it doesn't work. And I don't know if it's because we don't care about the characters or if they're not selling that they're actually in danger. One thing that I really liked about this, and again, it goes back to visuals, but they beat the crap out of Valerian and Lorelai yes. at the end of this movie. And they've got scrapes and bruises all over their pretty faces and stuff which they have until like the very end of the movie. And I was like, well, that's cool because you wouldn't want to blemish Cara Delevingne's face in a normal movie, but they do. And that helps us, or it should on paper. It helps us see these characters as vulnerable. It just, it just didn't really work. But again, those two characters don't really work. And they are the Indiana Jones. They are the James Bond you know, there that that is the foundation on which this this movie is is built.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned a couple times. You know, would it have been better if we would have met them when they first met? And yeah, I, I, the comic the comic story that this plot was based on the the station and all the stuff that's going down with the the je- the commander and things like that is based on a story called Ambassador of the Shadows which was written in 1975. But it's just what we saw in the last half of the movie, everything on the the station and everything. Now, hey,
1: correct me if I'm wrong. There is a comic called City of a Thousand Planets, right?
0: Well, close. There is a comic, I believe, written in 1970 or 71, that was called The Empire of a Thousand Planets. Okay. And I read that thinking, "Oh, that well that's obviously what the movie was based on." But then I read it and I'm like, "I really like that story, but that has nothing to do with with the movie." So then I later learned in in an interview with the the creators and uh Luke Basson that um it was based on The Ambassador of the Shadows. And it's a it's a different story. You know, the origin of the station is different and the Instead of protecting the general, they're protecting this ambassador and uh, things like that. But a lot of the elements are there, you know the th- the three long-trunked guys with information that help her, and the the goo guns or whatever. A lot of that, and the, of course the <laughs> the converter creature that that's all in there, you know. And there's a lot of similar elements from that 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 are taken directly out of the story but the the entire story is a little bit different it's it's almost a loreline solo story because in that one valerian is kind of taken away with the ambassador and he doesn't come back till the end of the comic so it was kind of an interesting uh, solo adventure for for loreline but anyway that that's a lot of details about the comic but Well,
1: yeah, eventually you're going to go into more detail, right, about the comics on your podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do a Comics Cave episode about Valerian, what I've read. Well, see, I
1: look forward to that. And in a way, this reminds me of like, for example, when the James Bond franchise began in 1962, there were already several books out there that they could pull from. And they chose to do Dr. No because they felt like it was a a self-contained story that they could do, you know, in limited locations and on a budget. It still ended up costing more than they thought it would, but I would be very curious to find, to ask Luc Besson, why did you choose this particular story? And had this been successful, what story would you have gone on to do next? Because... This was not the first Valerian and Laureline story published. No, no it was not.
0: It was like the
1: 7th or 8th. And yeah, that's always weird with that. L- like, you know, when they when they started making Jack Reacher movies. They didn't start with the first Jack Reacher book. They're like, "Okay, the 8th book is the is where we're <laughs> going to start." And yeah. it just those those that's always head-scratching to me. Maybe if you've got Tom uh, Cruise playing Jack Reacher and Tom Cruise is, you know, in his late 40s or, or 50 or whatever. You can't start with the first book. But a lot of times people do when we're, you're, you're adapting a, a novel series or in this case, a comic series. I I just feel like they spent way too much money. It was way too big. If they could have done a, a smaller scoped story that was more personal and told us who these characters were and showed them learn to work together and learn to depend on one another and, and trust one another or whatever. Then maybe in the second movie you say, okay, we're going to spend $223 million on this next one. We're going to do that Thousand Planets story. But Maybe Luke Besson would have said, well, this was the story that was most dear to my heart. And it's the one that I wanted to
0: do. And I was worried I'd never get
1: a second chance to do one. I,
0: well, I think, I think I read that he, he thought that it, it had the most potential to be a two-hour movie encapsulated in one thing rather than a smaller story. Or he thought it was the best adaptable story.
1: Okay, well, I guess that answers my question, but it just—it is strange to me, especially since these are very, very young actors. Uh, why they didn't just, like I say, do an origin story
0: for this partnership? Yeah, I think I think that would have been a good choice.
1: The 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 aliens, you know, the the white skinned aliens, as Navi esque as they seem, <laughs> the, I liked that. I liked that they they were noble and they were oppressed. You didn't really talk about it, but I guess Clive Owen's character had one of them, and he had been torturing it to try and get information.
0: Yeah, which was kind of dark, I thought.
1: Yeah. Well, And that's another thing, is is you have to have some kind of balance. You have to decide how violent and how dark you want to go. And that heist scene shows, you know, that they were trying to get in and out without hurting anybody, uh they wanted to steal this artifact or whatever and it's uh, the bad guys were willing to kill but valerian and Loreline weren't willing to kill the even though it was like criminals they were robbing and stuff right yeah they they had higher moral authority but but you know the mission the impossible mission force i i feel like they kill people sometimes maybe not civilians but bond is killing people left and right <laughs> Yeah, especially C- Craig. It, there you have to come up with a balance or tone of how are we going to do this? And 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 that's fine. Right? Th- th- was did you get the feeling from the comics that the comics were intended for children or for adults?
0: Uh, probably both. I mean it's it's a very light. You know, it's very light reading. It's it's not heavy. It's not there's serious parts, but it's, it's just more of an adventure out there with these two, um you know, on their beat, doing their job, uh solving the crime or the mystery or the getting the thing that they need to get. And yeah, it's just it's played pretty light. And again, it's, you mentioned tone. Yeah, I think the tone was off for me based on the comic, but. Uh, it was like trying to modernize it too much. I mean, you have to modernize it for a 2017 audience to make it uh, relatable. But I, you don't want to take it too far and kind of ruin the, the the mood. of Because, of, yeah, it's just pretty light, fun, fair, the comic is. So, so I was going to bring it back to uh, our original idea was to do a a Star Wars knockoff. And so I guess, did you feel that this was a Star Wars knockoff? Or or why did you choose this one based on that? You had just
1: placed it in my hands of, you know, (laughs) finding a Star Wars knockoff that uh, can be next. And it was hard for me to find a list, you know. a You can't go onto Wikipedia and say, list of Star Wars ripoffs or something like that. But I, I saw this at the library, this movie, and and I thought, well, I've heard them say that Star Wars, that parts of Star Wars was influenced by these comics. And if that is the case, I wonder if the movie feels like Star Wars. And it 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 didn't really, except for you know the cantina is just so filled with with- aliens, and this was like let's go to a city that's just absolutely jam packed with aliens, but no i mean it, it 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 didn't feel like a star wars ripoff at all there i I don't think there were any moments where I was just like, "Oh okay, well, we've seen this before. Where are the lightsabers
0: nothing right uh, uh did you find any parallels?" In the comics I did, but not in the movie at all. Okay. And I, th- I think had it stayed true to the light mood of the comics it mu- and had more of an adventure feel, like if like if we had gone from that heist to another fun adventure, and then that led to the ultimate conclusion of what was going on, I think that would have felt more like a Star Wars-y type of thing. And it could have had you know, heavy themes and stuff like that, but just keeping the the light adventure part of it in there. But going through the comic, I did find several, well, not several, some people claimed, and I I found a little article where they were saying, oh, yeah, these are the things that compare to, you know, one for one. This is obviously where Lucas got all of his inspiration from because everybody's an expert on what Lucas got his inspiration from. You know, like the ship in the comic is kind of a disc shaped, so they say, "Oh, well, that's where he got the Millennium Falcon from." But I don't, I don't really see that too much. Uh, the ones that stuck out to me were there's this scene in the Empire of a Thousand Planets where Valerian is being uh, tortured or questioned or I think mind altered to to reveal some information to these people, and he's stuck in this rectangle like Barry like like a carbonite uh Han in car- carbonite but i mean he's inside this rectangle instead of being like you know frozen in place but yeah it's it really does look like Han stuck in carbonite and then uh there there is a scene where Loreline is wearing like a like a metal bikini thing so oh, i guess really? he, he may have gotten that uh, idea from Valerian, but, but yeah, the, other people said like the the little information gatherers with the long snouts and wings. They said, "Oh yeah, that that's where he got Watto from." And maybe he did, but who knows? You know. But yeah, I, I would just say the general feeling of the comic, the and the adventure of it, would be what he might what might have inspired him. Well, we've
1: gone for for a long time, but I guess we always do. Uh, I know there are things that we didn't touch on. If there's something that you, as a listener, picked up on that you wanted us to talk about, or do you mention that something that you really appreciated, or something that really bothered you that we didn't complain about? Please uh, let us know. I uh, sometimes I forget it's if you go to see a movie in the theater you have to give it 100% of your attention in a dark room for an hour and a half or 2 hours and movies tend to stay with me more when that's the way that i see them but if you're just seeing them on a couch on a television and then you get up and you go to the bathroom and you make yourself a burrito or whatever uh you're not as immersed in the the experience and uh, and then it gets hard to remember details or to uh, <laughs> to recap and and go through on that something you said before the we even started recording was that Rudger Hauer shows up for like five seconds in the movie and then we never see him again. <laughs> there was stuff like that in this movie, like the John Goodman character or whatever, where characters are introduced and then we never see them again. And it made me wonder if parts were cut out. If originally this was like a three-hour movie, three and a half-hour movie. I, I,
0: I have no idea. Yeah, I guess one other thing we didn't mention was that uh, Herbie Hancock's in the movie too.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, he He's
1: like their, their Charlie, or you know, the guy that sends them out on their mission. Their, their right. M, I guess.
2: Agents Valerian and Laureline. I trust you studied the assignment. So as soon as you land, recover the converter and bring it to Alpha for a top-secret operation. The converter is the last creature of its species, so we're counting on you. Yes, sir. Captain Gibson has further details, and please, put on some more appropriate clothing.
1: Yeah, that was weird, but again, he's never in the room with them. He's just on the screen. Yeah, like a hologram or something. Telling them what to do, and I, 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 I suppose that that worked. I... Again, but why Herbie Hancock? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I didn't even know he was an actor. I just knew him as a
0: musician. Yeah. That's, Have you maybe seen he's good in friends movies? with Rihanna, and she said, "Well, I'll do it if you if you bring my friend Herbie in too." Okay. Well, if that's the case,
1: then then they got a better deal for Herbie Hancock because he was pretty good. Yeah. He basically just had to give them their orders
0: and say you know be careful out there kind of thing and yeah they they probably filmed him in a room all by himself sitting in behind a desk or something
1: it was interesting yeah we didn't get any A-la- a-list actors in this that i feel like was a conscious decision because the movie was just going to cost so much as far as you know special effects and sets and all that go but it it sort of needed a Bruce Willis or somebody, whose job it is to make us care. I'm I'm looking at the box office. Uh, it 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 didn't do badly uh, internationally. Uh, it made 184 million internationally, which is not terrible. But here in America, it only made 40. Yeah. And it's one of those, at least according to Wikipedia, it needed to gross four hundred million oh, to break even. And uh yeah, worldwide the total was two twenty five point two, which isn't terrible, but when you spend this much money, uh, you know, you need a Titanic, you need an Avatar, you need a Force Awakens or something like that. Oh well, it did come out in China. Do you remember back then when movies could come out in China?
0: Yeah, I remember that.
1: But yeah, it, it 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 didn't do well enough to to do a, earn a sequel, and I I imagine that that's disappointing for Luc Besson. because this really was a passion project for him for a long time. Has he done anything since then? Is he <laughs> a director jail because of this? Uh, okay, he made a movie in 2019 called Anna. I didn't see it, but I do remember seeing the trailer uh that it was a European supermodel as a like an assassin. And that one has Killian Murphy in it who I mentioned a minute ago.
0: I don't know, he's so unrecognizable, I never know who Silly Murphy's playing. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> it's the bad guy. Spoiler alert. It's always the bad guy. That's all I have to say about that.
0: Yeah, I think I think me too as well at least as far as the movie goes.
1: I Besson is not an old man, so he could still have a, a few more movies left in him if this didn't like wreck his career. Uh like I said he he invested some of his own money into this film and you're not supposed to do that even though you know, if you're a very very rich person, what is your money for? if not to fund your your passion projects. Yeah, that was 2017. He did Anna
0: in 2019 and nothing since then. Yeah. That's too bad. He's a very interesting director. I I mean, you can't uh, get, come away from one of his movies and say, "Oh, that didn't that didn't look very good." It's so always <laughs> very very stunning, very well done.
1: Well, they always look really good. Like he made a Joan of Arc movie with Mila Yovovich, uh, which I I thought was just a, a real a really painful experience to watch. But it looked really really good. Of course, Fifth Element looked really good. Uh, the Professional uh, was was a solid flick.
0: Yeah, The Professional. Yeah, that that was good. Yeah.
1: He's produced a bunch of movies. You know, like the Taken movies. Did, did he do that movie with Scarlett Johansson where she took some drug that made her be able to use her whole brain and it made her into a superhero? Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, Lucy. Was
1: that Lucy? Or Salt? It, it, it was called Lucy. I never saw it, but I think he directed that. And that was successful. Okay, that one had a budget of $39 million and made 463. Wow. So... You can see the difference. <laughs> uh, anyway, I feel like I've gotten off track.
0: Um, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe this movie didn't only break his bank, but it maybe it broke his heart, too. So that's too bad. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, if you'd like to make any comments on this movie or our commentary, you can uh, head on over to Patreon. No, sorry, you can head on over to... JourneyintoPodcast at gmail.com and send us an email. Uh I guess you can still get on the old voicemail line if you're so inclined and uh call 7J into one oh seven and leave us a voicemail if if you'd like to hear your question and then hear us answer it.
1: That might be fun. Yeah, I, I love it when people do that. Do you have to pay for that voicemail?
0: I don't. Okay. I just have to uh To pay attention, because if it doesn't get used, then they, they want to get rid of that phone line. So, (laughs) well, I I call it all the time and I fear that I'm the only person that calls it. So (laughs) I've called it, called myself a couple of times, but (laughs) (laughs) just to keep it active. Uh, but yeah, if you'd like to support uh, this podcast, you can. Go to patreon.com slash journeyinto. If you'd like to support Rish and his writing and his musings and his uh, productions of uh, other people's stories, you can go to patreon.com slash Rish Outfield and uh, support him over there. We we both appreciate not only the financial support, but uh, definitely the, the moral support, knowing that people are in our corner, so... Yeah, check it out. See see what we have to offer over there on Patreon. Well, I thank you for spending
1: uh so much of your time talking to me, sir.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, uh, I I thought it was an interesting pick. So this this was this was good. I guess now that we've done a Star Wars knockoff, now our next movie has to be an Indiana Jones knockoff.
1: Let's keep that in mind. I was going to say that I saw a trailer and I feel like it was at the beginning of this dvd and it was for that peter pan prequel where hugh jackman plays blackbeard did you see that do you know
0: what i'm talking about
1: i i think
0: yeah i think i remember that
1: yeah nobody went to that movie either but i saw (laughs) that trailer and i thought oh i would let me ask marshall if he wants to see this and review this on the show because uh Yeah, again, getting it from the library for free is not that big of uh, a sacrifice for me. Yeah, as as long
0: as we don't do Hook, I think we're good, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: You know what, I would see Hook again, just so that we could review it. Uh, But I haven't seen that since the theater, and I I think that was 89. Yeah, that
0: sounds about right. No, there's good parts to that movie, but... uh... I'll take your word for it. (laughs) They're parts. How about that? Uh, So yeah, I'll 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 run a couple things by you, and we'll see what what we talk about next time. But uh, until then, kids, uh, stay safe out there in the world, and uh, we'll be back here talking about another movie another time. Uh, Good night, everyone. Good night. The Journey Into Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, license. This means that you may share it with anyone you'd like, but you cannot alter the audio or make money from it, and you must give attribution to the creator of the audio. If you don't follow these rules, we will be forced to encase your head inside a cortex jellyfish and suck out your memories. Journey on.
2: I can imagine it must be difficult to find actors to fit the shoes of these characters that you've had in your head for so many years. And you wanted Dane within minutes of meeting him. What particular characteristics of his made him your Valerian? You just recognise it. You you know, if tomorrow... We make a film about you, and we're looking for an actress to play you. You will recognize her right away. You will, you will see, oh, this girl think like me at the time. She looks like me, you know, at the time, and and it will be easy for you to cast. It's the same for me. I know Valerian since 40 years, and in the same, and I was in love with Lorraine. So, you know, as soon as I met Kara, I can see and tell right away that. She, at least physically, the, the timbre of the voice and everything, she, she was Laureline, for sure. We just have to be sure that she can play, because at the time she didn't shoot anything. And so I tested her a lot, and I tortured her a lot. And then at the end I chose her because she was like, a, she's a real actress, Cara. Very talented actress.
1: disappointing for Luke Besson because this really was a passion project for him for a long time. Has he done anything since then? Is he in <laughs> director jail because
0: of this? Uh, well, uh, he's, he's on a comeback now with Dune. Oh, I don't think he had anything to do with Dune. Really? I thought that was him. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like the little uh, guy on on Star Wars that calls in the uh, where the Millennium Falcon is.
2: Which way?
1: All right, man, load your weapon. Stop that ship.